all over the world. Uh, Kyrgyzstan has been in lockdown. I actually live outside of Jakarta. I'm right now in Podgorica in Montenegro, in southeast of Europe. And I'm based out of New Delhi in India. I'm from Panama. I'm here in Panama City. And I'm sitting in uh, my house in Houston, Texas. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. Right now I'm in Italy. I am based in Suede. It's outside London, 40 minutes away. Yeah, I'm in Mexico City. I'm Mexican. I am living in Amsterdam. I'm originally from the US. And I'm currently based out of Luxembourg. I'm originally from India. I'm from Paraguay. I live in this country, which is a tiny South American country in the middle of the continent. I live in Tokyo. It's from Pakistan. I'm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in the United States. I'm in Sydney, Australia. I'm based in Tema, Ghana. We live in a place called Valdasande, which is 33 kilometers south of Gothenburg, which is the second largest city in, in Sweden. I'm originally from Cameroon. And I'm in Hyderabad in India. It's a city in the south of India. I'm from Hong Kong. I have been quarantining in New York. And I'm in Singapore at the moment. Well, I'm living in Ortigas Center. I live in Las Piña City, Philippines. I'm currently in Oxford, but I'm originally from South Africa. I'm living in Italy. I'm living in the northeastern part of Italy. Costa Rican originally, and I am at the University of Costa Rica campus. I'm living in Toronto. I am from Nairobi, Kenya. I am, I am in Manila, Philippines. To be more specific, I am in UP Village, which is right beside the University of the Philippines. I was born and raised in Italy. It is only by total, really, happenstance, circumstance, that I ended up living the lockdown and the beginning of the pandemic, the first two months of the pandemic in Boston, in the United States. Uh, but I was actually supposed to be back in Italy right now. You are listening to This Uncommon Ground. Voices and perspectives from around the world as we live and navigate through uncommon times. My name is Tanya, and in this project and podcast, I'm documenting and sharing people's experiences through conversations as we live through this global pandemic and the time of COVID-19. There's something different and special about having a conversation, and I've drawn a lot of energy, optimism, and hope from being a listener in this process. On April 30th, 2020, during the start of the week of the interviews that you're going to hear in this first season, Johns Hopkins University reported the global figures that COVID-19 had infected more than 3.2 million people and killed at least 233,000. During that week, from the 30th of April to the 7th of May, I had 32 conversations with 32 people experiencing this season in 24 different countries. You heard their voices in the opening of this episode. Now, as you can already tell, sound qualities of all sorts in this project, as people call in with various levels of internet stability, microphone quality, and access to quiet spaces. So I hope you welcome the ambient noise, the dogs barking, wind blowing, and all the little quirks. Despite blackouts, time zone confusion, and even an earthquake, we've managed to have these conversations. In this first episode, we're going to hear from Bilsana in Montenegro, 
Nilsa in Panama, and David in Ghana. Let's get started. Tell everyone what your context is, where you're calling from, what surrounds you today. I'm Bilsana. I'm right now in Podgorica in Montenegro, in southeast of Europe. And actually, I'm sitting in my balcony, <laughs> which is which has been a huge advantage actually in the in this specific situation. I've been spending a lot of time on the balcony, and I've realized that it is a privilege to have a flat that has one. Uh, so yeah, I'm outside, and there's some greenery in front of the building, so it's it's a nice sight to look at, and you know, just to be surrounded by nature at least a little bit. Great. Could you talk a bit about your neighborhood, what your city is experiencing in light of the pandemic and any of the responses? So Podgorica is the capital of Montenegro. So it's a city with the, where the most population is situated. But actually, we're a small country. So there's like 600,000 people. And let's say in Podgorica, there's around 200,000. So the experience in Podgorica, I think, is a bit more dramatic than in some of the other cities because most of it's an administrative center. So most people are, uh, you know, circulating here. So actually, let's say in the neighborhood, the, the first notices or the first changes were related to the silences. You know, as I think probably in some other cities, the government introduced um, a couple of weeks ago a measure that allowed us to go out only until like uh, 7 p.m. Now that measure has been softened, but in that period, it was really a dramatic change because mm -hmm. there was no traffic on the street. So, for example, I could hear even in front of the building like birds chirping, which I think never happened before unless, you know, I wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. So that was a, mm -hmm. actually a positive change. But on the, maybe on the negative side, of course, a lot of people have been, you know, left without work. There's still a bit of the gray economy. Mm -hmm. So people who didn't have social insurance, etc., now don't have an opportunity to, to earn. So it's been a bit tough on them, I think, especially. And then when you go out, you see a bit of a difference. You know, in, in Montenegro, we're a very warm culture. So people are always like, they don't really know what is private space. And we don't respect the queues and lines, etc. But right now, it's, uh, it has changed quite a bit. So, you know, when you go out and go shop in the supermarket, people are keeping the distance. They're actually, you know, staying in line, <laughs> which which is, was kind of, you know, a strange shift. Mm. And uh, yeah, for sure, everyone is being a bit more careful, you mm. know, in terms of the greetings, in terms of how they interact. A lot of the interactions have been just be, you know, within the family units, etc. Mm. So, have you been surprised by that collective response? Was that unexpected for you? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I was surprised that as as a community, we listened to the measures. I think I thought we would be, or I thought we would be much more rebellious about it and like, you know, not following the rules just because they are the rules, etc. But the, uh, it surprised me that most people were actually very respectful of what the government was doing to protect all of us. And uh, it, it was really positive, I think, because, uh, you know, it's created a different kind of sense of community. So, for example, we all go out at 8 p.m. to, like, clap for the health workers and service industry workers. And it, it's like, you know, I noticed some neighbors that I didn't know were there before, like, you know, across from the balcony, they're playing music or, you know, you can feel a bit of the spirit of, of individuals in a, in a bit of a different way. 
And also, it's been also surprising, on the other hand, that a lot of the colleagues that I work with who are older and not used to online tools are like getting used to it very quickly. They're adjusting really quickly and mm -hmm. they're using it very aptly uh, in mm. the work environment. With all the adjustments that people are having to make, what do you think for you has been a challenge, like one of the more challenging things to adjust to or the thing, a thing to transition to or even to accept about what has changed and what's going on? I think the, like the general kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say limitation, but yeah, let's use that word. The limitation of uh, my freedom mm -hmm. of movement. <laughs> I love I love to travel. So mm -hmm. actually, either privately or for work, I travel at yeah. least twice a month outside of Montenegro. So it's become a part of my lifestyle. And there were times when I complain about it, you know, sleepless nights, late flights, etc. But actually, right now, it was it was the aspect that took me hardest to like kind of come to terms with because uh, yeah it's been like two months and you know I'm not only in one city but actually basically in one class so that part has been I think the toughest for me and I cannot wait for the, the borders to reopen again because actually part of my family like my brother with his wife they live in Serbia and they have a two-year-old daughter, so I'm not able to see her at the moment. And I'm in the capital and my family is in the north of the country. So actually, I also wasn't able to see them because I don't own a car. And there is this restriction that there can only be two people in a car right, right now, like driving to adult people. So, you know, it's, it's been a little bit tough with that, with that limitation of the freedom of movement. So I've realized that, like, it's really important to have at least a bike. <laughs> personally just to feel like I'm you know I'm passing a certain distance it helps me of course with the whole but for sure maybe one thing that was I don't know that was a bit strange is that right now it's the month of Ramadan so uh, like Montenegro is mostly Christian Orthodox but me and my family are Muslim so it was strange not to be able to like meet up and to like I don't know make these big dinners etc but all of those things are I think manageable nothing happened that was like you know too that was that affected us too negatively thankfully those were just a few excerpts from my conversation with Bilsana. Now that we've had a bit of a taste of what it's been like in Montenegro, let's hear from Nilsa in Panama. So I'm from Panama. I'm here in Panama City. What's around me is a bunch of building complex and you can probably hear the dogs in the background. <laughs> they go a little bit nuts every so often, but besides that, you cannot hear anything else. And despite being in the city, there's not many cars. Today is actually Labor Day, so it's very quiet. It feels like a Sunday, even quarantine times. We have been in quarantine for about 53 days now here in Panama since the first person passed away from the COVID-19. And I myself have been in quarantine for about 43 days. To tell you a little bit more about this quarantine, it's in here in Panama, it's assigned by the last number of your ID. Females can go out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays and male can go out on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, but in the past few weeks, they have canceled Saturdays, so only Tuesdays and Thursdays or Sunday. Besides this restriction, you have a restriction per the last digit of your ID, so you can only go 
two hours a day. Like when it's a women day, I can go out, let's say, because my ID finishes in the number one. Then I can go out from 12.30 in the afternoon till 2.30 in the afternoon. So it's, ex uh, it's exactly a two hour period. If you are found outside, um, you get a fine and it can be anywhere from 50 to 100 to 300 dollars and if you happen to be one of those people who are positive to COVID-19 it could exceed that 1,000 dollars and so on. Here in Panama we use the US dollars. That's to tell you a little bit more of the context and here in my house we are three people. Due to this situation there is only one of us who is working at the moment so we all have to are depending on her income right now we get a little like a few things here and there you know like um the small contracts or somebody who needs you to do something but that's not not even compare to what your regular income is so it is a little bit a struggle in that end so yeah that's a little bit of the context of what we are doing right now what is available for support for families or households like yours where two out of three have experienced a big change. What have you seen in terms of government things or even in the community? What's the response? Since we live in a fairly middle-class neighborhood, we actually ourselves have not seen anything happen. In respect to the country, the government has, with a lot of volunteers and a lot of donations from companies and industries, because since everything is on hold, there are not as many sales of many different things. All restaurants are closed. Everything is closed. So everything that is not like urgent is closed. So car dealerships, restaurants, um, anything, even dentists are closed. So you only have hospitals and the restaurants that are open are the ones who have delivery services and supermarkets are open. So the government has given to the, to the low income or zero income people in the country, they are giving them like bags of food with a certain amount of supplies. It depends. I think they are giving just one per household. This is likely not to be enough for these families. The other thing that they did was also give a bonus of, initially it was $20, but then people were really complaining, like, seriously, $20. I don't know if on, in other countries, but here in Panama, you can probably get five items. And if you really go, like, really, really go to, the, to get the cheapest things, which might not be the best things or healthier things, you may get 10 items. So they increased it to $40. And now it is at $80. Just recently, they launched a program that your ID, your national ID, will be the one to be used like a card, like a credit card, debit card. So that it, with a barcode, because our IDs have a barcode, then you will be able to go to the grocery store. But you have to log into the system to see if you were in the wave of the IDs, uh, of the bonuses through the ID. The first people who were given this bonus were those people who actually had a contract registered in the Ministry of Labor, which in this household, that was not the case because I'm like an independent contractor and my mother-in-law, she literally had gotten the job like 15 days before and the, to get your contract registered, it takes about two months here in Panama. So that was not happening. And then after that, uh, they are giving the monies 
to the people who are artisans, they are registered in the Ministry of Culture. But if you're not registered, you don't, you're not, you're not in. And then finally, independent employees who are paying taxes, who have paid taxes in the past year. So if you were going to pay your taxes this year because you just started working, if you were going to pay your taxes, but you couldn't because everything closed, then you cannot get this benefit either. So that's, that's the scenario as of right now. We'll hear more from Nielsa later on, but let's introduce you to David in Ghana. This is David. I'm, I'm based in Tema, Ghana. And I'm currently in my house. Um, we live in this residential neighborhood. We call them estates with about a thousand houses. Yeah, living through the lockdown, but internally there isn't a lockdown, but nationally there's a lockdown where there isn't any travel in or out of the country. So that's where we are. I think this is the sixth week of the national lockdown. I'm happy to be here. Could you tell us a bit about what the national lockdown means and what that looks like? Because in comparison to other cities or countries that have a bit more restrictions, what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with Ghana, it started out with the borders being close to all travel except essential, I guess, for cargo and things that are necessary. But other travels just close. And it was the goal of the government to curb this um, before it got out of it. And then the next thing came, a lockdown that prevented any kind of social gathering. So everything from religious activity to schools to even work, funerals, marriages, literally everything. And for a place like Ghana, where we are very communal and social, so people do not necessarily get the entertainment from being at home. They get the entertainment from going out and seeing people either at church or the mosque or from school or from being in public places, including the markets. This was a big deal. So this went on for about three to four weeks. And currently it's been eased where people are allowed to go out, but they're supposed to practice social distancing and wear face masks, which is a very foreign thing for a lot of people. So that is where the current challenges are. Um, For me personally, I benefit from the fact that I've lived outside Ghana for a while. And so I'm used to being able to stay in an apartment and not be able to know um, your neighbors, but it's a very foreign thing for other people who are struggling with this whole concept of having to stay home and being isolated from the people that they know. And when it comes to changes in your life, you know, prior to having these restrictions, what has your day-to-day look like? Has that changed a lot or have you felt like you've been able to just adjust? So funny thing, prior to the, the pandemic, I had just left a job that had me traveling almost every three weeks across the world. So from January and through December, I was literally traveling all the time. And even for the past three to four years, that's kind of been my routine, getting on the flights and at least once a month and traveling somewhere else, delivering training or meeting people and then coming home. So I was mainly gone from home. I was living in Ghana, but I was also away from Ghana most of the time of the year. So that's kind of stability wasn't present. So I made a decision to leave the job to really focus a little bit more on on a couple of things. We'll hear more from David in a later episode about how he's navigated multiple transitions and challenges during the season. 
I've asked every participant in this project to send me a photo that tells a bit of their story or experiences in the last couple of months or weeks. Let's listen to Belsana describe one of the photos that she chose. So the picture with the little cups, it was basically, that was the one of the days when we were getting a bit restless being in the flat for too long. And my flatmate and I decided to explore the, our building. We have 10 floors in the building, but we live on the second one and we've never gone up even one floor. So we decided, okay, let's go. So when we got up to the 10th floor, we realized that there was, the door to the rooftop was actually open. And it's usually closed, so I think they opened it for people who don't have a balcony and who need a bit of fresh air. So we decided, okay, we're going to make a picnic. So we actually took cake and coffee and everything there, and we just went and chilled on the roof. And it was a, like a really nice sunny day, and you could see the city below and all of the rooftops and everything. It was a really fun day. We played some music, we danced a little bit. So, you know, we, we've made a few more of those picnics since then. And it's been, it's been really fun. <laughs> I'm glad that we found that rooftop. Yeah, it hel- I think it helps a lot just to change the scene and to get out of your space. Could you talk a bit in that picture, you know, you see a bit of your neighborhood or your, your neighbors. You mentioned earlier that you guys go out every evening to clap for the health service and the health workers. And what have you seen in your neighborhood? Has it been surprising to you? Have you learned something new about the people around you or the people across? Because it seems like you could kind of see pe- other people's balconies from where you were. Yeah, so actually, I don't remember if it was the same day or one of the days when we were on the rooftop, we saw like an old grandma on, in the, like one of the neighboring flats, just like sunbathing <laughs> in the sun and enjoying, you know, enjoying the day. Uh, and there's uh, also the, in front, what I realized about the neighborhood in particular, uh, in like in our building, there is a little cafe that has been closed, but actually people from the neighborhood still come from time to time to hang out. And I realized that like, okay, this is an interesting neighborhood. Like they keep their distance and everything and respect the measures, but they still have the need to like come to this place. They gather there. So it's a, it's a building in a neighborhood that's very close knit. People know each other very well. And uh, especially like the younger generations, they just cannot stay away. Like, okay, they stay at home and they have their families, but they still have to come to this like closed cafe just to, to chill for like a few moments of, of the day. Have you gone to the cafe yourself? Well, uh, my balcony is just above it. So like we can always interact and whenever we go out, we go through that area. Do people bring coffee? Yes, yes. Yeah, they bring their own, like, coffee. That's actually beautiful. <laughs> it shows the social need to see each other and to have some kind of connection and what, like, what the physical space and the gathering means for people. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And there's, like, three benches near the cafe, which are, like, totally separate from each other. But, like, one person will sit at each of the benches with their coffee and, like, mm. <laughs> they'll, they'll still hang out. <laughs> Awesome. And one more thing that came to mind that was really visible in, uh, in the first days uh, in the neighborhood and in our flat as well is that everyone started spring cleaning. Like, everyone was just like dusting and changing everything in the flat. So that was also, it, it was also a communal thing. Now from a picture of a rooftop picnic in Montenegro to a picture of flowers on a balcony in Panama, let's hear about Niels's photo and why she chose it. These 
flower. It's a, it's, I guess regional is summery flower. I think is in every tropical, humid country with a lot of sunny days and rainy days in the world. So in here we call it veranera, which is like summery, summery plant. I've been taking care of it and grooming it so that in these days, you know, I'm taking more care of the plants and checking them out. It's one of the many plants that are in the balcony. So um, I think the fact that it blooms, it's just telling you that it's going to be okay. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to share it. Yeah. It's really wonderful to be able to find something in your space that gives you a bit of light and gives you a bit of perspective. We are going through a time, like you said earlier, with a lot of uncertainty. It's important to have these visual cues for seasons change and things bloom and there's time for different moments. Continuing this theme of seasons, of blooming, of bearing fruit, let's visit a backyard garden in Ghana. Yes. So the photo I sent was a shot I took this morning from the backyard garden. So the plants in there are dandelion, purple basil, and I believe there's some lemongrass in there somewhere. But the reason, this is just a, a snippet of our home garden but it also, so we've been doing more home gardening. So initially this was started because my father and I, we like food and have a farm business and to think about sustainable farming. But we started with last year with planting things in, in the garden. Seeds that we brought from outside because there's a lot of demand for it locally, but they weren't being grown locally and we import a lot in Ghana. So we wanted to try them out and see if they'll survive. And obviously they did. And now we've expanded that. We've expanded to the bigger farm, but with the, with the lockdown, we've had to revive this and just spending the time to like grow these crops and as pastime, my dad can spend hours in there, but also using that as an opportunity to connect with our neighbors. So people do get some of the food from there. Food has also become a very essential part of handling this lockdown. So one of the things that people say was the fact that the lockdown was lifted after three weeks was because the government hadn't figured out how people live mouth to mouth day by day are going to be fed if thing gets locked down. So food has become an important part. And this is what I'm spending a lot of my, my time thinking about like food systems and how does a country think about a food, a more resilient food system that can be more distributed as opposed to like centralized? That's why I shared that picture because it captures food, it captures some of the things that I'm interested in and what I'm doing on a literally day-to-day basis, but also aspirations. Yeah. We've heard now from Bilsana, Nilsa, and David. There's really so much more to these conversations and we've just begun to set the stage. You'll hear their voices again in later episodes. In our next episode, we'll visit three more cities around the world and hear about how people are drawing and redrawing the lines between work and home, professional and personal, the new normal and the certain uncertainties. With every episode, I'm going to share a prompt with you for your own reflection or for a conversation with someone you know. We heard today about Bilsana's neighborhood cafe that isn't open but still receives visitors and the rooftop picnic she gets to enjoy overlooking her neighborhood in Montenegro. We also heard from Nilsa about the number-coded quarantine plan in Panama and her veranera plant. 
that reminds her that things are going to be okay. And lastly, in Ghana, we visited David's backyard garden, a representation of larger thoughts and hopes he has, and a practical way to serve his community. You can find these photos they've described and shared on our website and our social media accounts. Now here's this episode's prompt. Look around your immediate environment, your backyard, balcony, rooftop, or the view outside your window. What are the things, the visual cues, the neighborhood activities that help you get through the tougher days of the season? What comfort, perspective, or message do these things offer you? Share your thoughts with a friend or with me through the contact form at the website, thisuncommonground.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at this underscore uncommon, or use the hashtag thisuncommon so we can find you. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for being part of the conversation.